Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College offers the foundation for individuals seeking to blend creativity and practice so that graduates have the freedom to direct their skills and move the world forward. Its faculty takes a multidisciplinary approach to academic, professional, and social growth so that graduates have relentless optimism to navigate the changing environment. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with fascinating people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today, we're talking with Katie Quinn food journalist, author, chef, YouTube sensation, and podcaster. Katie recently released a new book, Cheese, Wine, and Bread, Discovering Fermentation in England, Italy, and France. We learn about the book and about her life off camera. Katie, your new book has just come out, Cheese, Wine, and Bread, Discovering Fermentation in England, Italy, and France. Now, it it sounds like a textbook, but it surely is not. It's full of stories and recipes, and and tell us about it. Well, so I think that the... First of all, hi. (laughs) Thank you for having me on. (laughs) You know, I think that the um, subtitle really explains a lot. I'm discovering the magic of fermentation in England, Italy, and France. So it's a travel story as much as it is about the fermentation of these products. Also, for the record, I am as far as it gets from like a sciencey person. <laughs> and yet I am fascinated and I have fallen in love with the processes that make our favorite foods and favorite now, drink in my case as well. You, you said fermentation is, is sort of the binding element of, uh, I, I think I saw a quote, you, you said a trio of our essence foods or something of that nature. Yes. Uh, was was that something you started off with looking at fermentation or you were just interested in these foods? Well, I, it definitely started with just an interest in these foods. I think that the fermentation element was the spark. I think that that was when I realized, oh, maybe there's something here to dive into, to explore more. Because I don't know about you, Tom, but when I think about fermentation, I think about like sauerkraut, you know, kimchi, yeah. kombucha, maybe, yeah. right? <laughs> and, and when I realized that it's actually, it's a part of these things that are on our daily tables that are just very, very intertwined in our lives, I just thought that there was something there. So when did you start your research? And I research, I use that broadly because you became an apprentice in several different locations in several different countries. When did you start the process that evolved into this book? It's a great question. So I, so first of all, I never like 
pitched a book like this before. I didn't really know what I was getting into. And so before I wrote the book proposal, I was like, I need to, I need to actually try some of these things out. I need to have some of these experiences and see if this is like a viable idea. And I was living in London, England at the time. And I was like, well, there is a world famous cheese shop here called Neil's Yard Dairy. They're all about British cheese. They're very proud of the farmhouse artisan cheesemakers that the country is really known for historically. And I, I didn't know that. I was clueless about that. You know, I, I, it feels so silly to say now, but like, I didn't even know that cheddar was born in England there is a town of cheddar in Somerset and that's where cheddar is one, right? Cause there you go. I, I, yeah, I'm American. I was like, I think of Wisconsin, <laughs> whatever, Vermont, you know? Um, so I was like, so I started at Neil's yard dairy. I started cheese mongering there behind the slate, learning about the cheeses and where they came from. Um, now for, for the lay audience, what's a cheesemonger? <laughs> what, what does that title mean? That is, Basically, a cheese obsessive, um, but okay. <laughs> but on a more a professional level, it is someone who works with cheese. So gotcha. um, you know the cheese shops that you might go into, and there's uh, all of the wheels out, and they're you know cut open and looking beautiful and waiting to be tried. That is the kind of shop that Neil's Yard Dairy is, and a cheesemonger is the person behind the cheese slate who is going to slice you off a bit of that cheese for you to taste. So you did cheese in England, then you traveled, uh, maybe not in this order, but you went to Italy and learned about wine all over the country? Yeah, yes. And and it was in that order, right? So I, I was living in London, started my cheese journey there. Then next I went to Italy, um, apprenticed at a making wine at a vineyard in Northern Italy, um, and yeah, then, you know, the third part of the trifecta, um, I went to France to explore bread. And and worked there baking the bread, correct? Yeah, I worked at quite a few boulangeries all around Paris, um, traveled south to Marseille, Toulouse, interviewing bakers, getting my hands dirty with some bakers. And then I, I did a full-on um, immersive training in Brittany in Northern France uh, with the man who calls himself, or actually others call him a barefoot baker, but he calls himself a peasant baker. And that's because he sees himself really as a farmer, first and foremost, a farmer with yes, cows and all of these other things, but also fields of grain. And then he takes that grain, he mills it himself, and then he bakes bread with that flour. And so for him, it's all, it's, it's about the entire system of being a farmer. And the term that he calls that is being a, a peasant baker, a peasant farmer, and um, a paysan boulanger is what it is. And he's actually started an entire movement in France. This book seems to have a, a little bit of everything for people. You you have recipes. You talk about travel. Uh, you you uh, talk about the history, uh, a little bit uh, of the science, but you also talk about the people that you came across. Yeah, you know, first of all, thank you for for rounding up what this book is about so well, because you know, Tom, I've been on 
these different TV shows and, you know, often just like doing a recipe segment and it's fantastic. But the book is, is so much more than a cookbook. The recipes are an amazing aspect of it. And to your point, exactly what you said, the people are the motors behind these foods and to not talk about the people and some of the challenges that they go through, but their passion for making these things that that is the reason that they overcome the challenges that they face. I mean, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. On your travels around it, and you did all of these things, part of the the book is sort of a memoir, but for a 30-something person, <laughs> memoir <laughs> seems maybe a, a too uh, high-fluting of a term. Uh, how much of you is in this book? I feel as though I... <laughs> My blood is running through that book. I bet, I, I bet you do. I really, I really poured myself into it. And you know, I completely agree with what you just said about the the use of the term memoir. I, I really avoid it for the reason, like you said, and also it just makes it seem like, like all, like I feel like I'm all important in order. Like, who right. am I to write a? a about myself so much, but, and, and I didn't know that there would be these, these personal elements, um, to the book until I started writing. And I realized these things are so intertwined in my life, in my head. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't academically just divide talking about these items and, and my travels to these items and meeting all of these incredible people all over the place like I did and not also bring in the personal element that was the reason for doing all those things. And I really was really quite torn on this. You know, I was would be writing the book and I was kind of just pulling out my hair and, and I realized that what do I look for in a book? What are my favorite books? And they're the books that I can relate to somehow, you know, that I feel like I can see a part of myself in. And so that was what made me kind of crack open that door and say, okay, I will share a bit of my story. But then Thomas, you may have read that the door just kind of kept creaking open and open. And and, uh, at the end, I really... I really be, I was quite vulnerable and, um, it, which is of course scary. And sure. Uh, I am happy to say that from the feedback I've received thus far, it, uh, has, it has helped people come along on this ride with me. And in some cases, some people have said it, like, it's the reason that I have stuck around from one chapter to the next is, is that narrative that ties all of these things together because my life as all of our lives are, um, is one big fermentation process. <laughs> so the right. parallel was just too good to pass up. Well, it, it, it you writing, uh, about yourself and, and the book isn't totally about that. I don't want people to get the wrong idea. It's about all these other things. It's, it's, it's a real cauldron full of, of, of goodness. Uh, but it, you sharing your yourself 
uh, it was sort of a literary, I felt, sort of a literary way of doing what you do with your podcast and with your uh, YouTube channel. But but it was in, in a more literary form. Yeah. It, well, thank you. Also, cauldron full of goodness. Like that's going to be, I should just have that like tattooed <laughs> on my arm and just look there at you it. There you go. I'll feel really good every time I do. Um, yeah, absolutely to, to what you just said. I realized at a certain point that to, to take the personal and, and put it in context, which in my case is describing fermentation and my travels around Europe, it makes the personal universal. And I thought that that was an element, and like you said, even, you know, a literary part of um, the journey that needed to be shared. For people who are not familiar with Katie, and I don't know that there are many who are not, uh, she has a YouTube channel called Q Katie, uh, 5 million viewers uh, and 38,600 subscribers. Uh, uh, so that, that is, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. That's those are those are old numbers now. I should have oh, given you. So tell numbers. me the good numbers. <laughs> it's not even that big of a deal. And my goal for a long time, I think, is why I'm so excited uh, to be to be hitting close to the um, the fifty thousand subscriber mark. Uh, there so, you go. Yeah. So the, sorry, and I'm sorry. I can't believe. I think I was just so excited. I'm, well, you should be. You know, it keeps growing and and growing. So, I, I want to go back to to the genesis of this uh, a, a bit, if you don't mind. Uh, it, growing up in Athens, Ohio, uh, you know, I've read quotes that you said you were always a foodie. Uh, I don't know what that means when you're fifteen or sixteen, but maybe you can tell me. Uh, but then went on to Miami University and got a degree in what mass comm and theater? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So at what point did you start putting food with mass comm and theater and <laughs> deciding that I'm gonna combine these for my life's work? I love this question. And I think that maybe first of all, I should clarify when I have said I've been a foodie my whole life. That basically means I have loved food. I've been a okay. <laughs> I've been a really good eater my whole life. All right. <laughs> I didn't actually have like I didn't show a, like a serious interest in food until it was when I moved to New York City after college graduation. I got a job at NBC uh, in the NBC Page program, which if you or any of your listeners have ever watched Tina Fey's show Thirty Rock, yeah. There's a character named Kenneth the Page, um, and you know Ke Kenneth is his name, and then the Page is like his descriptor. Everyone knows him as Kenneth the Page, and that's because a, a page is an actual role within NBC. It's basically like the little guinea pigs running around. It's an internship esque role, but it <laughs> is a rotational role for a year. So. What it does is allows young people fresh out of college to dip their toe in all different parts of the industry. I worked in the news department, and this was the year that Barack Obama was elected president. So oh, wow. I 
that and that was an incredible experience. But then I had a role at Saturday Night Live and I got to experience the entertainment side of things, which was obviously so different and super cool for its own reasons. And and I worked on the Today Show. And so is I got to dip my toe in all of these things and realize what am I drawn towards? Like where do I where do I want to try to steer my career? And um food came in, I would say two ways kind of simultaneously. One was that I lived in New York now all of a sudden. And oh my gosh, the foods here are <laughs> incredible. incredible. Yeah. yeah. Like I can take the subway out to Flushing, Queens, which and and I can feel like I am in China. And I can have dim sum that blew my Midwest tongue out of my head. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, I, and I and I loved it. Like, Tom, I was I could not get enough of it. I actually was like that person who would like drag all of my friends around the city with me after work and on the weekends. Well, I mean, as a page, you work six to seven days a week. Sure, so we didn't really have sure. weekends. But any free time I had became dedicated to discovering these new flavors and cultures that I had never experienced before. So that was one element of it. The other element on a professional level was um, work, when I worked at the Today Show and I got to interact with all of these like famous chefs, you know, they're all coming to the Today Show and and doing these recipe demos or you know talking about whatever food food topic their segment was about and i got to be there witnessing it be a part of it a job that i got then like straight after being a page was was at the today show behind the scenes and i actually got to interview them and and make videos and write articles about their work with food. So it was really a hands-on experience of, oh, this thing that I'm very interested in, this is an actual profession and I can do something with it because these people have. So at what point did you decide to go to France and become a chef? And did you well. find that was a necessity or that just was icing on the cake? Well, more more so icing on the cake in retrospect. At the time, it felt necessary because where I was at in my career was that I had I had started the YouTube channel about a year prior and and the YouTube channel took off in ways that I, I never anticipated. And so suddenly, I was like a food, expert, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes here. Yeah. <laughs> I, was a food I can see him. <laughs> yeah, you can see him. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I really honestly got in my head about it in terms of if I want this to be the future of my career, and I do, I feel like a phony. I feel false. I'm just a girl from Athens, Ohio, who really likes food. But I was getting approached um, to do these things in which I really was wearing the expert hat and I did not feel credible to do that. And so at the time, it really felt like, hey, if I want to continue this, like I have to invest in myself. I have to invest in 
this field and educate myself. And I, and so that, and, and I wanted to live in Paris, let's be honest. (laughs) Why Paris? Well, because that was a dream. Um, So, so that's why I went uh, in and that, I do think it's important to just say really quickly, and for anyone who wants to get into this field, you do not have to go to culinary school. That was a falsity in my head because I was feeling imposter syndrome. I know so many people who are very successful in the food industry and the food media industry who did not go to culinary school, did not spend those thousands of dollars. So it's not necessary. Well, you didn't go to just a culinary school. You went to the culinary school. <laughs> I got my butt kicked at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris. Yes, I did. <laughs> but you, the 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 great part of getting your butt kicked there was that you videoed all of it and I got to live vicariously watching <laughs> you getting your butt kicked there. I'm so glad. I'm so glad <laughs> uh, you could be a part of the butt kicking. <laughs> it it was it was just intriguing. To, to see someone who was interested in food and was uh, somewhat skilled, uh, you know, more than somewhat skilled. But, no, but somewhat going, skilled is accurate, Tom. But, <laughs> but, going, but going to this place that, that has produced the world's famous chefs uh, and, and trying to make your way through it, 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 was, it had to be a humbling experience. Absolutely. Absolutely it was. And... You know, I I did uh, I I read Julia Child's uh, memoir of sorts, My Life in France, while I was in uh-huh. France going to Le Cordon Bleu, and of course Julia Child is one of the famous uh, graduates of Le Cordon Bleu, and and I swear that there were some days where I was like, Katie, you gotta dig deep, you gotta keep going, like you know, <laughs> really, like think of Julia Child, like she did it, you can do it too. Um, yeah, I I think I completely underestimated the learning curve because I was like, what? I cook. I cook all the time. I make videos about my food. This can't be that hard. Like I'm a smart person. This can't be that hard. Um, What I learned is that it is a skill as any other skill and cooking in a restaurant scenario, which is what Le Cordon Bleu was training us for, is completely different when you're cooking at home, listening to a podcast or like whistling a tune and and, and doing it on your own time. Um, I left class with so many cuts and burns. And um, like when I say it kicked my butt, I mean, like pretty literally, like it, it, um, my body felt that experience um, very intensely. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication is designed to bring forth the people who bring forth knowledge by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means it succeeds. The Scripps College of Communication is where one generation of thought leaders and storytellers opens the doors for the next. Educating and inspiring each other, bridging disciplines, forging connections, pushing beyond the syllabus and beyond limits. And because all participants belong to a far-reaching community of achievers, they reach higher and further 
not just ready for change, but hungry for it, demanding that ideas be heard, perspectives shared, and visions realized. This is how the Scripps College moves the world forward. This is what knowledge demands, and this is why the Scripps College of Communications exists. To make it loud, to make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Many lawyers go on to be journalists. They, you know, me for for example. Uh, it, but many of them go on to cover courts and and the the legal system. Uh, there's a big debate as to whether a trained lawyer is better journalist covering courts than a just a journalist covering courts. Because it changes your perspective. You know the ins and outs, and maybe you uh, lose touch with the people. That is uh, an analogous situation I'm trying to draw. Did you feel that becoming a chef changed your perspective? And you've had to maybe counterbalance that a bit? I love this parallel. I've never thought of that specifically, but I, I love it. And, you know, another person who comes to mind, Tom, just like you, is uh, Savannah Guthrie, who is, yes. uh, you know, an incredible journalist. And and I think part of that is, is her lawyer background. Um, and, yeah, I think that uh, I absolutely think that that is a fitting comparison and there is a parallel. Um, you know, I, I also learned that, uh, that's, this is not the lifestyle that I'm interested in pursuing. <laughs> right. It's, you know, I, cause I, for, for a bit there before I went to culinary school, I was entertaining daydreams of like, Oh, maybe one day I'll open my own restaurant. No, not you don't not. want to do that. <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't want no, to do that. I'm not super keen to do that anymore. Um, but but it yes, it uh, it has helped me move forward um, in countless other projects that I've done related to to that world. Absolutely. I, I'd like to dive in a bit to your uh, attraction and uh, to YouTube. Um, because you were one of the early adapters of really massive use of, of YouTube. Uh, how did that come about? Well, I think that something that's always drawn me to YouTube or has always felt appealing is that it's, it's such a, a democratic platform. And by that, I mean the good stuff rises like the if you right. if you're doing good content, it will get views, um, and you know that's this is obviously not always <laughs> completely true because like really crappy handheld like shaky cell phone footage of like a cat yawning will also get millions yeah, of right. hits. So I know you know but, it's but, it's one extreme or the other. It's really good or really bad. That's exactly. what gets the views. It's it, mediocre that does it. 
It's so true. It's so true. So I just felt like, you know, I don't know. I was always just drawn to the platform. And, um, and then the other part of it was where I was at in my life. I had, I had just gone freelance and, you know, after working at NBC and then I worked at a video news startup, uh, where I was an on-camera host. So I, I really had, um, these professional skills that, that, ran the gamut in terms of production. Like I, so for so many years I shot and edited and interviewed. And then for, then for a few years, I was just in front of the camera as host. And so I was like, how, what, where am I going with my career? What am I trying to do here? I have no idea, but I am, I need to keep all of these skills sharp. And, you know, I, I kind of like being a one woman band. Uh, you know, I, Hey, you know what? I can set up my camera, shoot this recipe. Cause again, food is what I'm into. That's what I want to focus on. So I, I don't have to pay some camera guy. Like I'm in my mid twenties living in New York city. I can't afford to pay a camera guy to create the kind of content I want to be creating. And, and, you know, honestly at the time I didn't, well, first of all, a YouTuber was even, wasn't even a thing that like existed. Um, right. It wasn't a category. Right. But it was a platform in which I could put the kind of content I wanted to on there, the kind of content that I wanted people to see me doing so that I would then get other jobs like that. Right. So I was like, here's, here I am here. I'm doing this. Now do you want to pay me to go do it more? But, but to get to that point, I had to be creating the, the stuff in the first place. And so I was like, okay, well, I know how to shoot and edit. So I'm just going to shoot and edit this recipe that I've been wanting to try. Um, you know, and then the on-camera part is also an element that I've done professionally and that I love. So why don't I just, uh, try and try and do it all. So over the time you've been on YouTube and, and had the, the QKD channel, uh, your your videos have evolved and certainly cannot be categorized in any one segment. Uh, you talk about food. Uh, you talk about getting your Italian passport. Uh, you had a great video on how to use a bidet. Uh, <laughs> I felt like that was a you know public service announcement. Right? Yeah, it was. <laughs> and, and you also have have adopted the one minute recipe. So you you've changed not changed formats. You've put them all in this sort of amalgam uh, that you never know what you're going to get when you pull up one of your videos. Is that purposeful? Oh, I wish I could say it, it was. Um, I think that actually, but this is another thing that this is to me an, another reason that I love this platform is that experimentation is welcome, right? And so I, I just feel like I'm always experimenting with it and like what what really resonates with people? What do people seem to really get into or, you know, what kind of falls flat, which is also a part of experimentation, right? The failures, the things that, that don't really um, hit home. So I think it is less strategic than I wish it were. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's a, it's more, I, I I'm going to say it comes from a place of curiosity. 
I get it. I get curious about something and I, I just have to give it a try. People react to you in, in many different ways. Uh, is it uncomfortable that people presume that they know you? Um, what an interesting question. I can immediately recognize when it happens. And, and it's fine. I think luckily a lot of the assumptions people have about me are, are luckily typically not incredibly negative. Although of course, sometimes they are, and I have absolutely experienced that as well. Um, but there has to be a certain stepping back from it, um, with both the positive and the negative for obvious reasons with the negative, but for that same element with the positive too. Um, because at the end of the day, I am me <laughs> and, yeah. and the Katie that I put in the world for the public to be a part of my life. Um, I have to, it, it is a step, it is a step removed. Um, Sorry, I, I'm I'm like going away from your question. It, no, but that's a that's all right. It, it it when anybody's dealing with a public persona, it is part of them, but it's not all of them. Uh, you know, you cannot be as upbeat as you are in your video all the time. <laughs> you cannot be that cheerful. You cannot be that quirky. There's part of you that's just plain ordinary and has ordinary emotions. Oh yeah. Well, it, it, so 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 you know that that differentiation is is true with you, but the public doesn't see that. They just see one part of Katie. Exactly, and I think maybe I should, uh, you know put my husband on my social media sometimes <laughs> just like tell speaking the truth of that Connor tell him tell him what it's like um, <laughs> no but I think I I, I don't know I, I can only imagine that some people would be like oh yeah that like quirky blonde chick with the green glasses uh, who makes three minute recipe videos like she wrote a book wait like an actual book that's like actual writing um, I think some people would be surprised by that but you know, it might even come as a shock to know I consider myself an introvert. And I know I do not come across as an introvert on video. <laughs> you know, and but that's me too. That is a part of me. But a lot of public people are introverts. That's that's always amazed me. It is fascinating, right? And I and I love people. I do. It's not fake for the camera. Like I really, I do. Love no, people. that's, that's really part of you. But like I said, that's not all of you. You, you have a serious side, you, you have an intellectual side, not that your videos aren't intellectual, but you know, writing books, an intellectual process. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I just loved it. I loved every second of it. I loved going to the British library. Cause again, I, I wrote, I pretty much wrote the entire book in London before moving to Italy. By the time we were in Italy, it was like just the very end of kind of editing process. But I would just go to the British library and spend hours. I would spend entire days at the library with my nose in their incredible selection of books. Um, you know, about, yes, about cheese, wine and bread, but about the historical, cultural elements. Like I got to be an anthropologist 
you know, and part scientist when I was looking into the fermentation. And so, yes, this is all to say I have a very, a, a very nerdy side of myself, very academic side that um, was just so happy to be utilized uh, in writing this book. It, it in the book it 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 marries your writing with some beautiful illustrations and photographs. I'm um, so happy you brought up the visual element because because they work so well together. Uh, did you make that choice personally, or was that in collaboration with your publisher? Yes, that was entirely my choice actually and and I uh, I mean I have to give a big shout out to my publisher for obviously making it happen um I'm not trying to take credit for everything but I could show you my book proposal the book proposal I put together um uh, at the end of 2018 um and it is it's crazy to me actually to look at the book proposal now and then put it next to the book and it is very it's 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 a you can see the reflection of one in the other. Um, it's very obvious because my proposal had sample chapters, some sample recipes, and sample photos and illustrations. And for the and I even knew the illustrator that I wanted to hire for this project. Um, so I had I just like screenshotted some pictures yeah. from her Instagram and included them in my book proposal, saying. This is the illustrator of all of these illustrations. And, you know, if you get me a book, if if we agree to work together on this, if I get a book deal, um, this is what the book will look like. Moving to another area, and that is your uh, relatively new podcast. Uh, I think you've got 60 some episodes, maybe a, a bit more. Uh Called "Keep It Quirky," which is your your been your slogan from from the get go. Mm -hmm. um, why a podcast? You're you're already writing a book. You're 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 you've got a huge YouTube audience. Did you think you could cultivate new audience with a podcast? You know, Tom, it goes back to what we were just talking about that there were other elements of myself that I didn't feel like were being expressed and not just being expressed, but like muscles being, uh, being exercised, you know, an and intelligent conversation with another person instead of, you know, performing for a camera. Exactly. Exactly. And like, I have a, a journalist background and I was doing none of that <laughs> in my career. And I was like, I, I've got to, I've got to weasel this in somehow. Um, that was, that was the impetus for starting the podcast. And then it just became fun and a great way to meet new people and have really interesting conversations. And actually, Tom, I just, I mean, just, just like two weeks ago, um, launched a new podcast with the food 52 podcast network, uh, called either side eaters. And I co-host it with the incredible Jen Panomrat, who also has a YouTube channel called Just Eat Life. She is, she's amazing. So she and I are are co-hosting this new podcast. So now I've so, got a couple of things going on with that. So we'll keep it quirky, stay around? 
That's a great question. I think I think I have to um, take a step away from it solely because of the hours in the day. Um, I, yeah, I would need I to know. add on a couple I of don't hours know when in the you day. Breed. <laughs> yeah, but but I do love it, and so I'm not putting it to sleep. I am. I am. Well, I'm taking telling it to take a nap. Yeah, putting hitting the pause button. Yes, exactly. So I I need to ask you some personal questions. Like what I have asked you isn't personal enough. So <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about your family a little bit. Oh, I would love you, to. You come from um, what I would consider an accomplished and um, and creative family. Uh, your mother and father both optometrists. Uh, your your brother brother has a great new rock and roll band, uh, if that's the right term. I'm not sure what category it fits, but you come from uh, uh, your father uh, was in summer theater and and sang and acted. Uh, how much of that creative environment has come through to you in what you do? I think it has everything to do with it. And I think it's the reason I pursued a creative lifestyle and a creative a creative job, a career that was trying- Creating your own career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, this is what I'm gonna do. Let's see if it can exist. Yeah, I mean, I think it had everything to do with that. You know, my- my mom's creativity is not as public as my dad's is, but she's an incredibly talented artist. She, she sketches um, right. beautifully and, and she gardens beautifully and she makes bread like, like an artist. You know, I, I think that um, it's just a, an understanding more than anything that as people, we, this goes back to really what we just talked about too. There's so many parts of us, right? And and I think that it was acknowledging again, I think that this actually comes back to the first couple years I spent in New York were were very impactful in that I saw that this creative side of myself that those kinds of interests that were not all like I already knew that those were there and I was very happy to have them be a part of my life. But I think it was seeing that, oh, there is a path to actually do this for a living. Um, I think that that's actually something that I saw once I left the nest versus, right. um, I think that the creativity was definitely um, nurtured at home. Absolutely. Um, but I think leaving the nest made me realize, oh, wait, I can do this. I can at least try to do this for a job. And I, I hear you're plugging your, your brother's new uh, uh, effort, musical yes. effort. Brian Quinn, BQ is the name of his band. And, you know, it's funny when you were like a rock and roll band or what do I call it? I mean, it is like, I don't even, I don't know what to call it either. It's incredibly great music. I'll say that. Um it's, it's kind of like funk vibes. It's like Sly and the Family Stone, a little bit Parliament Funkadelic, Ohio Players. Like if, you know, if, 
if anyone listening is like, oh yeah, I like those bands, like you gotta check out my brother's stuff. Uh, it's really, really very good. So what's next? You, you're doing this new podcast, but uh, somebody like you always has an agenda, I assume. Uh, uh, I know you live spontaneously, but not that spontaneously. Right. Well, you know, I think that if there's one thing that that writing the book taught me, and, and not just because the book writing process is such a long process, I mean, from start oh, to end, yeah. I mean... You know, I was working on that for like three and a half years versus a YouTube video where I can shoot, edit it and publish it and then be responding to comments all, you know, within a day if I wanted to or within just a few days. Um, Also, the content of the book, fermentation, fermentation is transformation. Fermentation is literally like how does milk become cheese? It is the process of fermentation and and that takes time right time is the magical ingredient in all of these foods that we don't think about we don't it's not really talked about as as a a key ingredient and honestly that's my biggest life takeaway from writing the book is looking at my own life and seeing how i charge head first into everything I do. And I don't think it's always a bad thing. And it's certainly in, in the decade I lived in, in a place like New York city, I, I would say it served me well, but, um, now have like, you with, always been that way or is that something that, that changed? I want to say I've always been that way, but I don't know. You can ask my parents. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel it's certainly all of my adult life. I feel like I've been that way. But um, the realization that our lives, just like grapes turning into wine, needs to undergo fermentation at times and, and not always, but you know, with fermentation, there's like these bubbly, icky, sticky, weird parts that you have to go through to get to the final product, right? Like if you right. are, if you look at a wheel of cheese halfway through fermentation, it's weird. It's like, you, I don't want this. This is a pile of like rotten curds. I don't want that. But at the end, it turns into something so magnificent. And, and so I think just realizing that as, as humans, we go through similar things. Um, the reason I bring this up is because when you're like, what's next, what's, you know, what's next on, on, on your mind. I have like lists in the back of my head of things I want to do. I have ideas for next books. I, you know, I sure, but I am, I'm actually really consciously trying to take deep breaths and, and, and just slow down and try to appreciate. I just got like, I have this baby that's out in the world. Now this book that I wrote that took years of researching and writing and it's out in the world. And Katie, don't start pitching your next book already, which trust me, I am, I want to, (laughs) Um, but I know that that will come. And I, I'm just reminding myself, let it ferment and, 
and try to get this book out there as much as possible because I'm so proud of it. I'm so I'm so thrilled with the final result and I really want it to be in as many hands as possible. I want as many eyes that can to see it. So I'm reminding myself, let it ferment, Katie, let it ferment and uh, let let life do what it will. You, you've got to nurture that baby in the world yes. uh, for, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to keep shouting about it before I run off <laughs> to the next thing. <laughs> there you go. One last ca- question, Katie, and my wife asked me to ask you this. She wants to know what your guilty pleasure is food-wise. Oh. When uh, off the shelf, not something that you would make or somebody would make for you, but off the shelf, what is your guilty pleasure that you can't pass by in in a market and not grab? Oh, 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 man. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, I would. I I think that pretty recently I would have said Nutella. But I'm going to take it one step further um, to a newer love of mine that I have uh, that I have since become infatuated with uh, since moving to Italy, and that is another sweet and completely addicting spread: uh, pistachio butter. Oh. Yes. And it's pistachio butter, not like an almond butter. It's not got the healthy, crunchy thing going on. It's like a straight up dessert spread. So I'll say pistachio butter and I'll stick with that. Stay with that. That, That's your story and you're sticking with it. I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Just like pistachio spread sticks to bread. I don't know. I was was trying. (laughs) Keep it quirky, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Katie. This has been a delight. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope we can talk again sometime in the future, maybe on a next project or your next move. Uh, Now that you have an Italian passport, you can get all over the place. So I expect you to be in a new location not too long from now. I am looking forward to the next opportunity to talk with you. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me on and for your really wonderful questions. I had so much fun. Today, we've been talking with Katie Quinn, author and food journalist, about her new book, Cheese, Wine, and Bread, Discovering Fermentation in England, Italy, and France. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. And Spectrum also is available through the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast, or you can review it through one of your favorite podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about our podcast, or have suggested topics for us to cover in the future, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. 